This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Houston up early, two minutes into the game, 4-0 on Golden State. Game five of the NBA West Final. The series is tied 2-2. Blue Jays lost earlier today, 8-1 to the Angels. San Jose keeping a Vander Kane seven-year deal, $49 million. It is expected that tomorrow the Oilers will finally make their coaching staff official for next season. Todd McClellan, of course, returning as head coach. His assistants likely to be confirmed tomorrow. Trent Yanni, last four seasons as a Ducks assistant. He was briefly the Chicago Blackhawks head coach for one season and then a little bit back from 05 and 06. Manny Vivrios, WHL Coach of the Year, expected to join the Oilers staff as well, as is the guy who last year, last two years, was on the other side of the Battle of Alberta as the head coach of the Calgary Flames. Also had two years as a head coach with the Dallas Stars earlier in his career. Glenn Gullitson also expected to be named to the Oilers staff. To discuss specifically the Gullitson angle from the Flames Radio Network Sportsnet 960 in Calgary, my old buddy Pat Steinberg. Pat, how's it going? Oh, it's a sunny day in Calgary and it just got sunnier because I've heard your voice. What a, what a well, perfect end to my... All right. Well, it'll be sunny if we could hear your voice because I think your cell phone just cut out. Are you still there, Pat? You got me? Yes, we got you. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, well, first of all, uh, what's uh, how, are, how are things in the city of Calgary now? Obviously, uh, Eskimos are rolling here. Stampeders are rolling there. Flames got a new coach uh, with, with Bill Peters. So what's uh, what's shaking in your market? Well, I think that the the biggest thing we're waiting on right now is what the rest of the Flames coaching staff is going to look like. Is the Oilers have filled out their staff with you know Glenn Gullison and the rest of the crew you just mentioned there. We're all kind of wondering what this staff from Bill Peters is going to look like. You know, we know Bill Peters was hired a few weeks ago, and and he went over and coached Team Canada at the World Championships, and we've been waiting now since he's returned for some sort of news and some sort of thought as to what the assistant coaching position is going to look like. A lot of a lot of people speculating, and, and I've been told that probably a good chance that Stockton Heat head coach Ryan Huska is going to move up and be one of the assistants on this staff. But outside of that, I know that Manny Viveros has been connected with the Flames as well. He was a name that was out there, but it sounds like he's going to be joining the Oilers staff instead. So that's really interesting. And knowing how bad the Flames were, specifically on the power play last year and at different times on the penalty kill. 
specialized coaches in controlling one and running which unit. I know a lot of Flames are, uh, Flames fans are fascinated about that. So I think that would probably be the, the biggest thing we're waiting on right now. In terms of the Stampeders, this market is so, you know, let's let's wait till November and see what you do when the games really matter. I mean, this team has been such a dominant regular season team for so long, but after two straight losses in the Grey Cup in the fashion that the Stampeders have lost, I think a lot of people are very much, okay, yeah, June and July football is great, it's good to be outdoors, but we'll get really excited when the games start to matter and, and see if the Stamps are back in the Grey Cup game again. What do you think about Johnny Manziel, Pat? You know, I'm I'm all for second chance. And really, Johnny Manziel looks like he has turned over a new leaf, and he looks like he is, you know, a change man. All those types of things. I thought he came off really well in his news conference on Saturday. But you know, where I I just I hope that the CFL has truly done their due diligence here because we're talking about. Uh, the things that are behind Johnny Manziel and the things that he are, he's trying to move past, we're talking about things that carry a lot of gravity. Like he, not only was there allegations of domestic violence, but he pled to domestic violence. He underwent and agreed to and completed the terms of a domestic violence aggravated assault plea. And he for games for the NFL's performance-enhancing drug policy. Like these are these are fairly weighty, serious things in his past. So I hope the CFL and the Tiger Cats have done their due diligence here because if he has turned over a new leaf and by all accounts he has met you know, some of the mental health hurdles that he has head on, he has spoken openly about his battles with bipolar disorder and he's spoken openly about his addiction issues in the past and how he's gotten on top of those things. So if, if he has actually turned over a new leaf and he is ready to... Be the, the the role model type guy that you'd want a guy of his stature, and I think that this has got the potential to work. And the other thing is, and, and I'm not skeptical so much about that stuff because I think everybody's deserving of a second chance. But where I am skeptical is whether or not Johnny Manziel is truly in it in the CFL for the long haul. And I only say that because all accounts suggested prior to him signing with Hamilton that CFL was a last resort for him. Yeah. And he was trying the spring league first. And he wanted to be paid like a starting quarterback. And he wanted only a, a one-year deal, even though they don't give rookies in the CFL. He wanted all this special treatment. And that does not scream like he's taking the CFL seriously. And if he is looking at this as a last resort, and if he's not taking the CFL seriously, I'm quite confident this league is going to chew him up and spit him out. Because we've seen it so many times with high-profile guys coming from the NCAA. But if he's taking it seriously, if, if what he said is accurate, then I think this has got a chance of being a really interesting story. So I'm skeptical. I am skeptical, but I'm coming at it with an open mind. And it's a, it's a huge name playing in the CFL. It is getting huge coverage south of the border. So I'm, I'm coming at it with an open mind because it could be a huge story for the league. Pat Steinberg from the Flames Radio Network, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary, joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Okay, so uh, again, it's 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 expected that the Oilers will finally make this official tomorrow. The, these names have been out there uh, a long time, especially Yanni and Gullitson. And remember, uh, Todd McClellan and Glenn Gullitson went to uh, Saskatoon and Humboldt together a couple of days yeah. after the tragic crash. And obviously, they've knew each other, but before that, but uh, that was interesting. What they uh, may have discussed a, a little bit while. 
they were together there. You know, when the name Glenn Gullison has come up, it's surprising how many people have said to me, Pat, oh, that's the guy that threw his stick into the crowd. Oh, he's going to be, he's just what the Oilers need. And I'm kind of like, well, okay, hold hold the phone a little bit. I think sometimes coaches calculate their uh, outbursts as much as anything else. Well, you just, from you being around Galtzen and on the beat there in Calgary and, and uh, dealing with him for the last couple of years, uh, maybe just tell us a little bit about his personality and, and what you saw, strengths and potential weaknesses as a coach. Well, first of all, the the relationship that I got to forge with Glenn Gullickson down here is one of the coolest ones that I've ever been able to have covering the NHL in, in my time doing so. He was so accommodating with his time, and he after every after every morning skate, he would sit and talk, sit I guess stand and talk with with our broadcast crew, so our, our play-by-play guy, our color guy, and, and myself, the host. He, he he would stand and talk with us for 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes sometimes, and and give us some really good stuff about the game and that type of stuff. But he also just got to know the guy, and and it was it was really cool getting to know him because he's he is extremely passionate about the game. He's extremely passionate about the way he believes the game needs to be played and how, at the time, the Flames needed to go about their business to, to be successful. But he's just, he's just a genuinely good guy. He's a family guy. He's got his, he's got his two daughters and son and his wife, and, and he's, he's very much that, that family-oriented guy. So I am as big a fan, personally, of Glenn Gullickson as really anybody that I've, I've ever come across in my time covering the league. What's, what's interesting from a hockey perspective is I, I and I was trying to be as unbiased as possible, but it, is, like, it was tough to not be. But I really thought Gullison deserved at least another year behind the Flames bench. Now, as it turns out, it's not as if they fired him to conduct a coaching search. They decided to move away from the coaching staff and to go with Bill Peters. Bill Peters was the only guy that they were after as head coach, so they made the move when Peters became available. But I thought Gullison did a lot of good things in his time with the Flames. I thought that he transformed them from a team playing an antiquated brand of hockey under Bob Hartley and turned them into a team that was far more in line with the way the game needs to be played you know, in the modern day. They were a team that was based on puck possession and keeping the, the puck in the offensive zone and generating scoring chances. And they went about their business that way with, you know, most of the, the top teams in the league do that. And and they went from being a team that relied on a high shooting percentage and good goaltending and some fluky bounces to make a playoff to a team that legitimately made it uh, in, in Gullison's first year. So I think what, what his strengths are, I think he's a very good systems coach. I think that he divides his systems, he runs practices, and he gets his team to execute his systems at a high level. Where I think maybe, and I don't know if this is an overall thing or if this is just with the group that he coached, but I think that maybe where he struggled with his time with the Flames is being that authoritative guy, right? Being that guy that, that demanded the body. And I don't know why that would be. Maybe it was the group that was assembled from the Flames. Maybe it's something about the, his message. I don't know. But that was the biggest area where I think when it was all said and done, maybe he struggled with is, is getting that overall buy-in and being that, that kind of taskmaster type, type guy. To the point that when, you know, the, 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 you mentioned the throwing the stick incident, 
to the point that when that happened, a lot of people are kind of like, is this is this legit? Or as you said, is this a calculated thing? Right. And it didn't have to something that we're used to with him. So those are my, his strengths, he really does devise good game plans, and he gets his team to play those systems. He runs practices well, and I think he's a very good X's and O's coach. Maybe where he had that little bit of an issue was being that guy that commanded the respect. I don't know for sure. I wasn't in the locker room. That's just what we've been told from a lot of people who are around the team. So I think, Reader, I think it's a really good hire. I think he's a really good coach. Uh, and while I don't think that he was going to get a head coaching job right away, I think him as an assistant on Todd McClellan's staff, I think it's a really good hire. Well, you know, I, I think change was, was needed. I mean, it was an off-year franchise-wide for the Oilers. And, and uh, you know, when, the, when you have a disappointing season like the Oilers did, I mean, it's not like they missed the playoffs by one win. And you say they if they just could have been better in this area, they're in. There were a lot of shortcomings, and I think that went with the coaching staff. And I hope that Todd McClellan, with some new voices around him, because a lot was made of how long the, the San Jose guys were together, McClellan, Woodcroft, and Johnson. A lot was made of how long they had been together, and I think that's great. But but I wonder last year if if maybe some of the some of the ideas got a, a little a little stale. I mean sometimes some I mean sometimes a, uh, just a new voice or a change in delivery or, or just somebody saying uh, you know a new set of eyeballs is is what a team can need. Well, and I think I think Gullickson is the the type. Of, I, I'm not as familiar with Trent Yanni, although his track record developing defensemen in Anaheim is really really strong and and right off the bat I was like that that seems like a really good hire for the Oilers too but the thing with Gullickson is really relatable and that that's the one thing that you heard from all the players whether or not he commanded that respect that you know sometimes you need as a head coach that was in question I don't know but what I do know is that he relates really well to his players he's got a, a good feel for the locker room and when it's time to maybe take a day off or when it's time to, to make sure you do practice three days in a row when you've got a break. But he's got a really good feel in the locker room. He relates well to players. He's a younger guy, so I think that just because the age difference isn't as large as you see in, in some other situations, he's able to relate to the players a little bit better. And, and sometimes I think that it's easier to have that guy as an assistant coach right. and I think that's why I really like going from head coach to assistant coach for Gullickson. And, I mean, for him personally, you know, he's got three kids that are kind of at that age, so you don't want to be moving them around. So I think it works for him. I think that, you know, potentially being able to keep the family in Calgary where they set, up, set down some roots over the last two years and, and be at Edmonton, I, I, think, I think it works for, for both sides here. And I think you're banging on about the message sometimes. I think sometimes you do need a – different voice or different voices and I know that down here on our show I've been pretty vocal that I thought it would have been really dumb for the Oilers to fire Todd McClellan so I was glad when they didn't because I think Todd's a, a really good coach and those two guys um, McClellan and Gullison do go way back to most Saskatchewan boys uh, they, they've come up in the coaching ranks at very similar paces so there's also a really good working relationship between the two so you know I, I won't lie I'm curious to see what the Flames do with their coaching staff down here but I do, from kind of that uh, you know enviable standpoint, I'd really like that coaching staff the Oilers are are reportedly putting together here. Well, we 
expect to find out for sure uh, tomorrow. And going to be interesting to see uh, uh, Gullitson and hear what he has to say tomorrow. Joining the uh, not 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 often that happens. A guy goes directly from Edmonton to Calgary or the other way as a player or coach. Yeah, it's, it's very it's very different. I mean, how often do we see it with players? It happens so rarely with players. I mean, uh, when when Ladislav Smeed got traded to Calgary as part of that deal, that was the first time that the two teams had traded with one another in decades. So, well, there was that. Uh, um, remember that minor? Was it too. Steve Steos for Aaron Johnson? That's right. Steos was before that, and then a couple years later, yeah, Ladislav Smeed. But with the Steos deal, yeah, it had been decades since they traded with one another. So. You don't see that very often at all. Remember, you'll probably remember this, but remember when Brent Sutter was not renewed down here, he went over and coached the World Championships, and all the speculation was the Oilers were going to hire Brent Sutter as their coach. I think that was when they went Dallas Akins, but there was all this speculation, especially down here in this market, that, oh, it's beta complete. Brent Sutter's going right from the flames to the Oilers. Didn't end up going that way, but that's the last time I can remember it kind of being this close to happening. And now, obviously, it looks like it is happening with Gullison. Pat, great to have you on the show. Appreciate your perspective, buddy. Enjoy the spring here. I uh, Well, maybe I'll see you at the draft in Dallas. That'll be fun. You will indeed. I will see you there, buddy. Hopefully we talk many times before that. I miss your voice. Oh, thanks, buddy. That is Pat Steinberg from the Flames Radio Network. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. This is J.C. Sheriff from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. All right, so we'll have the Eskimos game on Sunday afternoon, 1.30 for the countdown to kickoff. The kickoff will be at 3. Eskimos taking on the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, their first of two preseason games. The Eskimos will play at Winnipeg on Friday, June 1st, also the uh, day when Grey Cup tickets will go on sale to the general public. You can text 630-630. Luke says, I think if Johnny... Football has success in his first CFL season. He'll sign again for two years before trying the NFL again. He's still young. Remember Doug Flutie? He stayed for six years and uh, went back. He was a better quarterback by far. Well, Luke, Doug Flutie, uh, I mean, I, I think the greatest player in CFL history. He was uh, crazy to watch. when he, Who was he with? He was with... Uh, what was it, B.C., Calgary, then Toronto. Exceptional CFL career. Uh, this texture says the Oilers won't get any better until they start using all four lines equally. When you use your third and fourth lines for a fill-in to give the first and second line a break, all you get is a fill-in effort. Okay. I, I'm going to guess that that texture didn't mean that literally because I'm sure he or she knows... There's not a single team in the NHL that uses all four lines equally. Maybe he wants those uh, lines to play a little little more than they did. I don't know if uh, line deployment was the Oilers' uh, problem this season, but that's okay. A lot of theories out there. 21-17, Houston leading Golden State. Final minute of the first quarter. Game five of that series, it is tied 2-2. Blue Jays lost earlier today 8-1 to the Angels. It's hot outside. Well, we got a little bit of rain, but it's been very hot outside, and it'll continue to be. So always a good time for a beverage. We uh, we try to do this once or twice every summer. A little bit on a uh, Alberta Craft Brewery when we get back.
this is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. Cool, Dave Campbell, the producer of this show and our Eskimos analyst for our games here on 630 Chet, handed to me the results today of the inaugural CFL media poll. 74 people who cover the CFL answered 20 questions. And one of the questions was, who will win the most outstanding player in 2018? All 74 people voted. 26 of them picked Mike Riley, 35%. That was the most. Bo Levi Mitchell, quarterback for the Stamps, got 19%, as did James Wilder Jr., the excellent running back for the Toronto Argos. So uh, whatever this means, and really it means nothing, but it's fun preseason prediction time in the CFL. Uh, about a third of the uh, people who voted saying Mike R- Mike Riley will repeat as MOP. The Calgary Stampeders were picked to win the West Division. 32% of voters just ahead of the Eskimos at 30%, just ahead of the Rough Riders at 29%. Oh, I hate to alarm everybody. I think the Rough Riders are going to be darn good this year. So consider that as you get ready for the season. John texting 630-630. He says, Reed, unless Yanni or Gullitson can play goalie, it's not going to matter. Mark my words, Talbot's game is gone. He's going to crap the bed again next year, and the season will be over in the first 20 games. John, thank you for your text. Your words are marked. I only ask you one thing, that whether you are right or wrong, you text back. Because a lot of texters tend to uh, never be heard from again if their predictions of doom don't come true. So that's all I ask. It's 7.35. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. It is uh, summer. Well, I guess not officially, but it's summer. It's hot. A little bit of rain finally today. But uh, on Inside Sports in the past, we've uh, profiled some craft breweries and uh, some local beers in recent summers. So we're going to try to do that a few times again this summer, and we're going to kick it off with Blind Man Brewing from Lacombe and one of the founders of the brewery, a guy I got to meet at the 104th Street Market on Saturday in downtown Edmonton, Hans Doof, joining us on Inside Sports. Hans, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thanks for making time for me. How are things in Lacombe? Oh, they're great. It's hot. People want to... uh... (laughs) Wanted to have some beers, so it's good. Well, that's that's why we do this in the summer. We got uh, we are, we got a little more time to talk other stuff, and uh, the weather is uh, especially this week. Uh, I mean, any 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 sort of fluid has been good the last few days. It's oh, yeah. uh, easy to get dehydrated. Uh, Hans, tell us tell us a little bit about the story uh, behind uh, the brewery and your story a little bit uh, as well. I mean, it, to me. It's one of those things, uh, sitting around with your buddies saying, hey, let's start a brewery, uh, probably maybe not quite as romantic. You start uh, getting all the work done that needs to go into it. What's Blind Man's story? So um, we've been open for about two and a half years, and uh, almost our third year anniversary will be in September. And it's been an idea long before that. With uh, It started out with myself and uh, one of my friends named Dave. And uh, we're here actually... It was an idea in a in a locker room playing uh, after a hockey game. So uh, we were kind of hemming and hawing about about ideas. I had been homebrewing for a while, and, and Dave uh, has 
has, was just finish, finish, finishing up his MBA. So we had some ideas to, uh, to, to work on baby steps towards the brewery. And we did some test batching and stuff and I had a bit of uh, business plan, social media and stuff. And as we were starting that, three guys uh, had caught wind of our, our, uh, op- our undertaking and they reached out to us and we actually partnered with them. So three guys from Edmonton joined up and uh, we're a group of five now. And uh, it kind of started uh, all about the beer. So we uh, were a group of five, five beer geeks <laughs> and uh, we, yeah, we've, we've been going at it for about two and a half years uh, and growing in a number of different ways for sure. All right. Well, that, that, that's really, so what did you say you were doing before this? My family uh, actually do screenhouses. They, we, they have a booth uh, at, at both of the, the big markets and uh, 104th Street, Strathcona, and uh, St. Albert. And they actually, uh, I was doing that my whole life, picking cucumbers. So Okay, uh, neat. Yeah, uh, with my whole family. And uh, I was actually brewing beer, brewing beer in the greenhouse before I brewed beer production. So. <laughs> no way. Okay, well, that's pretty cool. So, uh, yeah. so you, you jumped into that. I mean, once what were some of the challenges towards getting started, Hans? Uh, I mean, like I said, it's it, it's one of those things. It's, it sounds like a great idea, but I, there were probably some obstacles and pitfalls that maybe uh, you didn't expect, or I don't know if you had any days where you're like, "Well, wait a minute." <laughs> yeah, I. A lot of people ask uh, who are starting new breweries. There's a lot of people who want to start new breweries right now, and they ask, "What? What? Well, what should we think about?" And and I think the biggest thing is you have to expect everything to cost more than you think right <laughs> and uh it's uh and you that's really difficult everybody everybody thinks they can brew a, a great beer but they don't uh, understand a lot of the financial aspects behind it and uh i think that's something that's missed uh it's it's underestimated so that's a big factor for sure um and there's different ways this to uh to set up but if you're going with partners and if you're going with group, a group of five like us you have to definitely know that uh you're kind of married uh so you have to operate and, and uh, work together so that's a big one too yeah well you know it's funny but part of the reason i, I wanted to to do these segments uh i think we first did a couple with uh uh, obviously, with Alley Cat here in Edmonton, there was yeah. that other brewery that isn't. Uh, what was that other Edmonton brewery? They made that vampire uh, maple. Amber. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're around anymore, are they? No, no, they aren't. Yeah, but but I mean, you know, there's like like you said, there's people who just enjoy beer, enjoy the taste of it, want to give something different as an option. And it's funny you said you and your buddy first discussed this after playing. Ben's hockey, right? Because beer and sports, whether, <laughs> whether you like oh, it or yeah. not, like they're tied together. Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, whether it's uh, allowed or not, it's very good to have a beer in the locker room after a hockey game. That's for sure. <laughs> it's allowed, I think, as long as yeah, you, yeah, you keep it to one. If you're if if you're driving home, uh, hands tell tell people, you know, now that you, you've you've got some uh, momentum. Which is great for for blind man, and I'll let you plug some of your beers later on because you guys make some great stuff. But um, there there are a lot more craft brewers than there used to be. Is is the competition? Does that make it tough? Or if there are more breweries, does that make it more likely that people are going to go around and try some and kind of all the breweries benefit? Uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> that's, uh, sorry, that's the answer for saying obviously. It, there is more competition, so everybody has to up their game. 
but uh, rising tide uh, floats all boats, and everybody's talking about, hey, there's so many breweries in Alberta right now. Are you worried or are you not? And I think the people who are, like, it encourages me when people even ask that question because it's on their radar. And they're willing to, they will try it, and they'll realize that it is a, a better product. Um, and uh, there is, when we started, we were the 20th brewery to open in October 2015. And now there's almost 80 breweries oh. in two and a half years in Alberta. Um, so definitely uh, people are, there is a, a, a tide coming and, uh, and, and we're, we're happy that we kind of hit the, uh, got in the game a little sooner than some of these guys, but we're also realizing that um, we all have to keep on making the best product that we can for sure. Yeah, well, I, I man, so it's quadrupled in about the last two and a half years the number of craft brewers in the province, which is, which, which is, and, and you know what? The the good thing about that is, like you mentioned, there's competition, but it does make everybody work harder. The people that want to sample stuff will sample it, and there's a great regional aspect to it. I mean, it's great for a smaller community to have its its kind of its own, right? And and that's great. You're tied into Lacombe and the sports thing. Uh, don't you guys have the Allen Cup next year with the Lacombe Generals hosting? Who've been yeah, they've been an do. incredible AAA hockey team. Yeah, we do. Um, we're really excited about that. Uh, there's a lot of cool sports like the CFR is, is coming to Red Deer too, and and we're excited to to host a lot of of these sporting events and and whether we're a part of it or not, we're still really excited for for just uh, being in like sports uh, focused out here too. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe you guys can uh, get some blind man beer at the Allen Cup. That wouldn't be be a uh, be a bad thing at all. Is oh, the, yeah. does Old College still have the Brewmaster program? Yes, they do. They're thriving. They're they're pumping out a lot of fantastic brewers, and they're in high demand. And we right now we have five Old College uh, either graduates or uh, students, and and we're just extremely thankful for them. They're they're uh, they're great, Peter. Is uh, Peter Johnson Beresford is the kind of the lead, and uh, and he's been doing a fantastic job out there along with the, all of his other uh, uh, employees and staff. So so what's the one thing about working as a as a as a brewmaster uh, that people wouldn't know? Like are are the hours crazy, or like do you have to have some skill that people wouldn't expect, or what what's something that would uh, interest the general public? When you're working in the back, uh, they say if you want to be a brewer, you have to be good at cleaning. And <laughs> I think I think that's the something that a lot of people don't uh, don't really appreciate is you're cleaning 80% of the time and you're brewing 20% of the time. And uh, that's the one of the most important things in a brewery is is uh, making sure everything's sanitized and, and clean and ready to go, so there's no contamination or nothing. So you have to be a, a cleaning aficionado as much as a, a as a beer expert. So that's pretty oh, cool. Yes, for sure. Uh, I, I you know I've, I've been able to have some of your stuff. I, I, you gave me a couple samples on uh, Saturday. I was, I was really impressed. Uh, uh, I believe it was with the porter you gave me. Now, are you guys throwing out? Uh, you know, like, do you have like 10, 12 beers? Because I find usually the craft brewers they try to specialize in four or five. Where are you guys at? Yeah, uh, in terms of flagship beers and core beers, we have uh, about five, uh, and we have some shoulder seasons that we rotate. So we'll have more uh, of certain beers in the summer, more of certain beers in the winter. Uh, but we have, yeah, five core beers, 
and uh, we have some rotational seasonals. All right. Uh, where can be obviously you're you're in Lacombe. It's Blind Man Brewing. If people wonder what we're talking about, and we will do other uh, craft breweries throughout the, the the summer because we try we try to feature different ones and allow people to try different things. But if, in Edmonton, I, I would assume Sherbrooke has some. Is that or you know, where can people find the Blind Man product? Sherbrooke is a very solid bet. Uh, Keg and Cork on the south end is a very solid bet. Uh, a lot of the boutique uh, liquor stores will have our products. Um, uh, Sobies and uh, liquor depots will have our product as well, and uh, the big uh, uh, wine and beyond stores too. Okay, so you guys are every everywhere around the city, and I assume you'd have stuff on tap at places like probably underground from time to time, or almost all the time. Yes, yeah, we have uh, on White Ave downtown, 124th, uh, various little kind of pockets of Edmonton we're all we're on tap for sure all right well you guys are doing great thanks for telling your story blind man brewing out of Lacombe uh, one of the founders Hans Doof joining us here on uh, inside sports but what we talked on uh, Saturday you mentioned that uh, you listen to Rob and I on the post game show sometime so I will ask you a hockey related question uh, Vegas Washington uh, do you have a preference or is there one team that's more of a captivating story to you I'm so torn because I want Ovechkin to win a cup, but I also <laughs> love the the Vegas story. So I, I think I'd probably want Ovechkin to win the cup. Okay, interesting. Uh, Hans, I got one question on the text line. You're going to laugh. Somebody wrote in, "What's the pay like as a brews, brewmaster?" <laughs> I don't expect you to answer that, but you did mention about the. Uh, <laughs> The hours. Uh, you're not a millionaire. Should we just leave it at that for now? <laughs> uh, there's a lot of work involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Good stuff. Hans, thanks for doing. That. And uh, what is the website again? Blindmanbrewing.com and uh, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram for sure. Easy to remember. Thanks for coming on, buddy. You really appreciate your story. Thank you. Good stuff. Yes, I got to talk to him in person on Saturday, uh, 104th Street Market. So they have a little booth there. Uh, Hans Doof, and that is spelled D-O-E-F, and as he mentioned, the greenhouse. So you may have seen that, uh, uh, the greenhouse out there, or uh, as he mentioned, at the downtown market as well. Uh, that was great. Actually, I got a couple other suggestions on the text slide about uh, uh, craft breweries that people would like profiled, so I appreciate that. We'll try to get through, through more throughout the summer, because there are a lot of interesting stories behind these, and that and that's what I really like is people pursuing their passion and, and you know trying to set it up and doing something they believe in. I uh, got a texture about Lakeland Brewery out of St. Paul. We'll try to get in touch with them. Uh, you, so you can. T- and here's the thing, guys. If you want to send me a segment idea, whether it's sports-related or beer-related, usually sports-related, the best way to reach me, inside sports at 630ched.com. Good old-fashioned email, inside sports at 630ched.com. Because obviously I only see the text line for the two hours I'm on air from 6 to 8 every weeknights. Well, and even the last couple of weeks with all the hockey, I haven't even been here for a lot of those. So, yeah, I mean, the texts are great. I'll see them now. But if you want to, if you ever have a little, you want to type me a couple paragraphs about the idea, inside sports at 630ched.com. All right, 749. We're going to take a quick break. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chan. All 
right, thanks for tuning in tonight. Uh, 45-37, Houston leading Golden State. Two and a half minutes left in the first half. Game five of the NBA West Final. The series is tied 2-2. Blue Jays lost earlier today 8-1 to the Angels. The Stanley Cup Final starts Monday, 6 o'clock. Washington at Vegas. Yes, the Vegas Golden Knights have home ice advantage in the Stanley Cup Final. We'll have all the games for you here on 6.30, Chad, 6 p.m. Monday for uh, Game 1. Evander Kane signs a contract with the San Jose Sharks. He was a pending UFA, seven-year contract, $49 million. We uh, expect to be talking a lot more Oilers on the show tomorrow. Uh, The announcement likely coming tomorrow. The names have obviously been out there for a while. Assistant coaches Trent Yanni, Glenn Gullitson, and Manny Vivrios. The Oilers are expected to make that official tomorrow. If they do, we'll have plenty more on that on Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer from noon to 2 and of course on Inside Sports from 6 to 8. Thanks to Hans Doof coming on the show from Blind Man Brewing out of Lacombe. Always interesting to get uh, their story. He and a buddy talking after a uh, men's hockey game saying let's start a brewery. And away they went. And uh, they're doing pretty well. I'm sure uh, many of you out there have probably uh, already sampled uh, their product. They do some good stuff. And obviously this weather is uh, (laughs) going to stay hydrated. And, you know, beer is made from water, Kellen. Yes. (laughs) So that's a good way to get a little bit of water in your body. Yes. Is it still raining, by the way? It's definitely clouded over here. Uh, We got sprinkles now. Much needed rain. Yes. Which is fine, mm-hmm. as much as uh, we've all appreciated the hot weather after the long winter. Oh, oh, I'm loving it right now because I get springtime allergies really bad. A lot of, yeah, a lot of sneezing. Sucks. A lot yeah. of sneezing in the world, in the Edmonton area. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Over the last couple of weeks, just yeah. uh, some random sneezing going on from people dealing with the uh, the dry weather for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so we're going to have a show tomorrow. So I actually got to work two days in a row, which is good. And uh, likely uh, some other stuff to talk about. We're working on... Well, I, I can I can say who it is. If we don't get them, we don't get them. That's life. Sometimes you don't get the guests you shoot for. Mm. We're working on Terry Crisp for tomorrow. Okay. Former NHL coach, former Flames coach. Uh, he was with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So we'd have a lot to talk to him about. And as and as we had a question earlier today about the 1960, uh, 67, 68 St. Louis Blues, who were the who were an expansion team that went to the Stanley Cup final. Terry Crisp was a player on that team. And as you remember, Kellen, because you were a boy in the 60s, just growing up, Northeast Edmonton. Peace and love, man. uh, So the NHL expanded to 12 teams, put all six teams in the same division, Mm -hmm. and had them play off within that division to reach the Stanley Cup final. So there was guaranteed to be a new team in the Cup final. St. Louis went each of the three years, didn't win a game. Got swept by the Canadians, then got swept by the Canadians, and then got swept by the Boston Bruins, and that's Bobby Orr's famous goal to win in Game 4 overtime. Hall of Fame roster, too, for the Blues as well. You take a look at that roster, you had, like, Glenn Hall, Jacques Plante, Doug Harvey... Go well, on and on. And they, got, and they were actually pretty. Uh, Brendan and Ulrich and I were looking back at the standings. That, that first year, all the new teams were below 500. Uh, and then the Blues got pretty 
good. Where you know, in a 12-team league, I think they were they they finished first in that division. I think they got up to fourth, fifth overall. Mm. So uh, they actually got pretty respectable, but weren't able to win a game in the Stanley Cup final. Thanks to our guest tonight. Besides Hans Doof from Blind Man Brewing, you heard from Pat Steinberg from the Flames Radio Network, Dave Gosher from the Vegas Golden Knights broadcast booth, and Morley Scott, play-by-play voice for the Eskimos here on 6:30. Chad, more on the Eskimos on 6:30chad.com. Bit of a feisty day at practice, but that uh, often happens after a few days of training camp. Dave Campbell's the producer of the show. You've been hearing from Kellen Kennedy. He's our studio operator this evening. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks to everybody who texted as well. I look forward to talking tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Have a great night. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.